Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you tonight as we wrap up our series Unfollow. We've been thinking these last weeks about what it looks like to be a healthy follower versus an unhealthy follower, different sorts of unhealthy leadership and ideas that we can find ourselves following that we shouldn't. And as we wrap up this series, we're going to think about one last aspect of that. There, there are all kinds of things we could cover, but one that's really important is for us to think about what's the real core that we use to discern counterfeits, unhealthy things that we follow, things that will lead us astray. And while there are all kinds of details, and we've thought about some of those, we've thought about legalism and moral laxity, and we've, we've thought about self-interested leaders and, and, and thought about how all these things are intertwined, what it really comes down to is what we're going to talk about tonight. And, and tonight is a challenge for us to think about, am I looking at the world and the things that try to call me to follow them in such a way that I'm looking for the counterfeits, the things that will lead me astray? As we begin tonight, I was reading a fascinating article the last day or two. Somewhere in there, I'd run into this. I thought it was really quite apropos. I was reading about this really interesting manuscript from Galileo. And it allegedly is a manuscript that shows Galileo sketching out some of his early ideas that have to do with his discovery that the moon wasn't the only body that orbited another planet. It, the moon orbited our planet, but he found moons orbiting other planets. And, and that was, of course, part of his amazing set of discoveries that he made. But allegedly, this manuscript shows the thought and process, the, the draft that he'd sent off in a letter. And so for almost 100 years, the University of Michigan had held this letter as a prized possession of their museum, maybe even the crown jewel of it until suddenly they realized it was a fake. Just recently, a, a student of Galileo, someone who has been writing a series of works on Galileo, had been studying different materials and became convinced that this manuscript was faked. Now, the manuscript had allegedly been authenticated. A bishop who had other manuscripts of Galileo had compared this manuscript with those manuscripts and found them to match. The only problem was that bishop also had had fake manuscripts. And they all seem to go back to a man named Tobiah Nicotra, who had a penchant for counterfeits. He had made all kinds of counterfeits of famous people from the past and, and used them to try to make money. Now, how had he fooled a bunch of people to think that his counterfeit works were actually real? Well, apparently he'd sneak into archives and he'd rip blank pages out of books of the approximate age of those whom he was seeking to counterfeit. And so when people look at the, the material that the, the counterfeit was on, it looked real because it was actually genuine old paper. But what was on it was a counterfeit. Pretty ingenious. Unfortunately, it meant many valuable works were damaged by the man, and he tricked people into thinking things were true that weren't. But it came down to this. There was something genuine, something that looked real, but what people were really valuing on it wasn't real. Now, the University of Michigan, in reflecting on this whole scandal, has said that they think that this piece may actually become even more valuable because we're constantly confronted with trying to determine whether things are true or not. And here is a remarkable counterfeit for people to study for years to come. 
we run into lots of counterfeit things, counterfeit ideas in life, and we certainly run into those when it comes to the, the spiritual world and spiritual truth. And the challenge that scripture calls us to time and again is to be discerning. We need to ask the question, am I following what's genuine where it really matters? We have fact checkers and, and sites on the internet that will help us try to discern discern what's true in the moment, in the news, or in science, or in history. But am I using the Bible to fact check those that claim that I should follow them, ideas and people? What does scripture call us to to really think about that? You, you see, you think about that that manuscript, part of it was genuine. It was actually old paper, but it wasn't the right old paper. One of the things that clued the researcher in on the fact that it was a counterfeit was it had a watermark that didn't quite match the time period of Galileo. But it was genuine in a sense. It was an antique piece of paper. What do we look for? Well, he looked for a watermark. What we should look for is the true Jesus. And that's what we see time and again in Scripture. Look for where Jesus is being represented truly. And we'll find that, that often will clue us in on whether the the leader or idea is a counterfeit or not. Let's go ahead and come before our God and ask for his discernment and wisdom. And then we'll dive in to some scriptures that will help us with this. Let's pray. Father, we spend a lot of time thinking about truth and falsehood. We can probably point to, to things that we share online or we read about things that occupy our attention where we're wrestling with what's true and what's not, but too often we don't spend enough time wrestling with the things of your kingdom and whether what people say about them are true or not. And may that be of the utmost importance to us, that, that we would look for the real you, the real God of the universe and his real truth, and that we would put that above other things that would occupy our time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start off by going to 1 John chapter 4. There we find that John is confronting falsehood being taught in the church. And he says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Well, that's pretty much to the point, isn't it? How do you know if something's true or not? Whether that claim, whether that spirit, whether that person speaking in a spirit, whether whatever it is that we're thinking about following confesses the right things about Jesus. We get wrapped up in so many other things, even when we are dealing with theology and the Bible, so many things that we'll evaluate whether we want to hear someone or not, how they dress, how they speak, what kind of service they, they speak in, does they have the right music, or do they have the right affiliations, all these sorts of things. We talked about some of those last night, in fact. We get so wrapped up in those things that we forget the thing that's often overlooked that's most important. What do they do with Jesus? And John says, here's what you need to deal with. When you have these teachers come in and they sound really impressive, evaluate, are they confessing that Jesus came into this world? That he was incarnate? That the Son of God walked amongst us? And John wants to make sure that we hear this out because it is so crucial everything else that we're going to examine afterwards. Let's look a little bit more. We, we read that, that one verse, verse 2. But John goes on, he says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. 
little children. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us not love one an- let us love one, one another, for God is f- love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent his, his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Notice how John weaves these different ideas together, important ideas, ideas about how we love our neighbors, how we love God, what Christ has done for us, and they all come around to the idea that Jesus has come into the world. Jesus testifies to the love of our God. The fact that God came into the world, sullied himself, by having to go through the messiness of life, taking on our punishment, triumphing over death for us, teaching us all all of what we talk about in the Gospels, all that the New Testament talks about, all that the prophets foretold, all these things testify to who it is that God is and who it is that we're supposed to be. These things, then, are built together. If we don't confess who Jesus is rightly, we're going to get everything else wrong. So it is, not always, and so we should be discerning in the things we've talked about up to this point in this series, but so often it is, if you really look closely, when people are falling into some of the traps we've been talking about, or other traps of bad leadership, what are they doing? They're also messing with who Jesus is. Look for the person who takes care to speak of Jesus truly, who who holds on to the truth of, of the incarnate word and what God has done for us in that miracle. And you'll see flowing out of that, the truth. That's what John's saying here. Pay attention to that. You you can't get it right if you get that wrong. Take a look at John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. We're we're backing up a little here, but John emphasizes this right at the very beginning of his Gospel. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The author of Hebrews says something similar. He says of what has happened in the miracle of the Incarnation, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Here's the bottom line. We understand who God is through the Incarnation. It's crucial. If we're going to build out a truth about who it is that we're going to worship, how we should live in accordance with that one whom we worship, all these things, first we need to understand who Jesus is. And so in the Gospel of John, we're told this is how we've actually gotten to know God. God's dwelt amongst us. And and now we, even though we're two millennia later, can, can go back and read about the people who actually walked with him, spent their lives with him, and understand more about God in the flesh. God experiencing the world as we do and yet without sin. And the author of Hebrews speaks about how this changes the whole dynamic of where we go from here. 
He says, yes, prophets came before, but now we have the Son of God. We have revelation itself. You can't get any truer picture of who God is than God himself, and we have that. So often false teachers will start speaking of having a word from God, and they'll start speaking as if God is giving new revelation, and yet we're told here that the completeness, the fullness of revelation comes in Jesus. No wonder then that this is crucial to how we live. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We've talked about in the past how we're called to face suffering, how we're called to stand firm. But where do we root that? How do we do that? Well, we do that by following Jesus. We look at what Jesus did for us, even though he didn't deserve it, and we then are strengthened to do what we're called to do. Peter says the two are linked together, and by God's Spirit, he gives gives us the strength. But that Spirit, what is he doing? He is reminding us of what Jesus has done. That we can never say, well, he doesn't really get it. It's crucial to living. It, it, no wonder when people start messing with Christology, the study of who Jesus is, and they get it wrong. No wonder it starts to alter how they say that we should live. Because if you don't understand who Jesus is and what he's done, then how can we understand what our life should look like, especially when we say that we're supposed to follow Jesus. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says about the days of the incarnation, the, uh, the days, as, as the author puts it, of the flesh for Jesus. He says, In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Not only is it crucial to how we live, it's crucial to how we're saved. And our living comes out of how God saves us. Here it is, the author of Hebrews says, that Jesus becomes the eternal source for us of salvation. How? By living out the life that he did in the flesh. And he uses that phrase that sometimes throws us off a little bit about being made perfect. I say, well, I thought part of a true view of Jesus is that Jesus was perfect. And the author of Hebrews would agree with us because he says that Jesus lived without sin. So what does he mean by being made perfect there? Well, it could be translated being completed, reaching the finish. Maybe that would be a better way to translate it because it would be less confusing to our modern ear. But in other words, Jesus lived the life he was intended. The incarnation didn't end in a mistake where he was crucified before his time. No, he did everything that the Father sent him to do. He lived a perfect life. He faced temptation without falling to it. He, he taught the disciples. He did the Father's will. He submitted to the Father's will on this earth. He went to the cross and bore our sin and then triumphed over death. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says being made perfect. Jesus wrapped it all up. He completed it. It's done. And now we are those who look at his life and follow it and are saved by his death and his resurrection. What an amazing thing that is. And that then pours into how we function in life when things don't go how we wish they would. All of us encounter death. We encounter our own deaths that we know eventually will come. But we also, in the meantime, face the deaths of our loved ones and 
and have to wrestle with that and how that makes sense. If we're seeking to live like Jesus, how do we make sense of a broken world where people die? And yet that too ties into what Jesus has done in the flesh. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, when we go to a funeral and we hear assurance that there's actually hope that we'll see our loved ones again, when we're walking alongside someone facing an illness that appears likely to lead to death, how do we do that with any hope at all? How do we do that and not just feel like, well, everything that we're doing in life is meaningless? Well, we do that by understanding that Jesus faced death, but also was resurrected. How was he able to face death and resurrection? Because he came in the flesh. Again, it's that understanding of the God of the universe coming as a true human being. See how important it is that we understand who Jesus is because it flows into how we do all these other parts of life, how we handle the tragedies of life, how we live life, how we know that we have assurance of salvation. You might say, well, if this is so important, then we would think that everyone in the church would always get this right. They'd hold on to this. This would be the thing that, that people would just cling to because it, it connects, as the apostles point out, to, to everything that we value as Christians. And yet we're also told in the New Testament there will always be those who get Jesus wrong. Some of the, the opponents being addressed by these different apostles are those who would claim that Jesus wasn't really human, that maybe God somehow inhabited the body of a human being or had the illusory appearance of a human being, but wasn't really a human being. Or in some sense that he was more divine once he was able to cast off that human shell. That's not what scripture says. John says, no, we encountered the living God and, and what we encountered was true. Paul says, if we're going to have any hope for the future, it, we better believe that Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh and, and faced death. But death didn't get the final word. And death didn't even get the final physical word. Jesus' physical body was brought back to life. This is all interconnected. There are others who would say, okay, well, maybe Jesus was human. But all too often today we hear people say, but he wasn't really God. But the apostles always believed that Jesus as God was a crucial part of everything they were doing. It didn't make any sense to do what they were doing if Jesus were just a, a teacher that managed to get himself killed by the Romans. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2.9. He says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, Paul says lots of things about who Jesus is and his divinity, but it's interesting to note we've been looking at Colossians 2 throughout this series. We keep coming back to it because Paul is addressing different sorts of errors and misunderstandings about how we live a life that's pleasing to God, what it is that we should be following in life. But how does he ground everything that he's saying? He grounds it by confessing who Jesus is. Because if we're going to worry about how we should live, the things that we shouldn't do, well, it's important to know that, that Jesus, the one whom we follow, really is God. It really is who he claimed to be. And wasn't just a teacher that might have been wrong 2,000 years ago and had some ideas that kind of worked and some that didn't work. No, if, if Jesus, as the Bible makes clear, is 
deity incarnate, that the fullness of God dwelt on earth, and what Jesus said we ought to take completely seriously. We can't pick apart parts of it. Likewise, if we're going to say that, well, that all of the rules that we find in Scripture, all the commandments we find are important, that our hope is in God's grace that Jesus has given us, how important is it to understand that, yes, Jesus really is who he says he is? You see, it's all tied together. It's all a part of a beautiful tapestry that God has given us. Now, we'll sometimes encounter people that don't quite speak of Jesus rightly. I run into a lot of new believers who kind of will use terminology that would imply that maybe Jesus is a little less than God the Father. Sometimes even we ourselves, who, if you've been in the church for quite a while, can slip into some of that language. Maybe we accidentally say, well, God and Jesus or something like that. I try to avoid using that kind of terminology. It shows up sometimes in Scripture, but where it does, it's saying the Father and the Son. But sometimes when we say it, we're almost implying, well, there's God and then there's Jesus, and we need to be careful. So it's good to use as clear of language as possible. It's not saying that every time we, we slip into unclear language, though, or maybe we struggle with the understanding who Jesus is as we, we start to wrestle with the faith, that sort of thing, that we're immediately those who should be cast off. The real question, and the question that isn't true of the people that the apostles are opposing here, is, are we willing to learn? Are we willing to understand more about who God is? Are we willing to come to his word and allow it to correct us? You see, these false teachers, they didn't want to hear from the apostles who had actually been with Jesus. They didn't want to hear from the prophets in ways that would contradict what they wanted to believe, whether they wanted to believe that Jesus was really just a spirit or they wanted to believe that Jesus was just a human being. They didn't want anything to chip away at their picture of who Jesus was, and so they wouldn't come to God's word. They wouldn't come to those who had actually been first-hand witnesses of Jesus. On the other hand, we see in Acts people who act differently, and that shows us how we should react to people who don't always get everything right. Take a look at Acts 19, verse 1. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Do you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to be, believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is kind of interesting. We have people who are labeled disciples. They're following presumably something of Jesus. They, they've heard the message from John, but they don't have everything right. What do they do? They hear Paul. Paul explains the further fulfillment of God's word, and they immediately respond with whatever they can do, in this case being baptized in the proper form, baptized in the name of Jesus, baptized, as Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not just stopping without Jesus. They, they do what's necessary. And so we should be a people of grace and mercy. If someone is getting something wrong about who Jesus is or anything else we've been talking about, our goal isn't to immediately condemn them and toss them out of the church. Our goal should be that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, help each other to understand the truth. We're all going to get some of it wrong. We need some humility here. The problem is when people 
aren't willing to wrestle with it, aren't willing to be conformed to the scriptures because they're holding on too much to some sort of mistruth. Kind of reminds me of this guy. Do you remember him? A few decades ago now, incredibly, 19 years ago, we saw a lot of him for a few months. He was nicknamed Baghdad Bob. And this man was the Iraqi minister of information. And people quickly point out minister of misinformation because he kept insisting, oh, he didn't insist on First Timothy, he, rather he kept insisting that the infidel, that Americans had not gotten anywhere close to Baghdad. And, and as the embedded reporters that were traveling with the American military were showing this incredible footage of, of the American army just rolling across the countryside and, uh, and getting closer and closer to Baghdad, he kept insisting, well, they're not really there. And they're just committing suicide. They're not going to ever come because they can't face our forces. It's all going to go up in flames for the Americans. And you could almost imagine sometimes as he, as he was giving these conferences that you could see the smoke up in the, or the, the dust clouds up in the desert behind him of the tanks rolling towards him. And yet he insisted, despite all the evidence contrary, that it wasn't happening. Now we might say, how in the world did he ever insist on such crazy things? Why did he think such crazy things? I, I don't have any insight into his mind and whether he believed them. But the thing is, he had a lot of incentive. He worked for a government that was clearly about ready to fall, and he was clinging on to anything he could to justify his life's work in that government. Maybe he was threatened with, with violence against himself if he didn't insist on it. We don't know those sorts of details, but what we do know is he had an incentive, and he was holding on to this bad idea because somehow, somehow, it was all that really made any sense of what he'd done up to that point in life. Sometimes we see with these false teachers, it's similar. They've been holding on to these false pictures of Jesus that have led them into other falsehoods that then they're trying to get us to follow. And they keep insisting, even as God's word clearly is much clearer than the dust rising in the desert, it's clear that these are mistruths, that they will fall before God. And yet, to actually give them up means to give up everything that they've worked for. Maybe they find these mistruths give them some level of importance. The minister of information for a country that's fallen isn't very important. The false teacher that spent his life or her life teaching things that aren't in accord with God's word isn't very important. Sometimes we see people actually repent of this and come to speak truth, and oftentimes... Unfortunately, many of their followers abandon them and they live a much less important, much less prosperous life. It's not necessarily fun to admit that we've been teaching the wrong things. But what are we told? It's essential to cling to the true Jesus. 1 Timothy 3.16 Paul writes, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. There's the mystery of godliness, we're told. The, the thing that actually matters. And so, if we've been teaching untruths, if we've been clinging to the wrong picture of Jesus, may we let go of it and realize that this is where godliness is. And if we're following someone who says that, may we realize that they're not clinging to what really, really matters. Sort of like a product recall. It's time to recall this bad theology. The last week there were headlines 
about uh, probably a, a memory from many of our childhoods that's happy. The, the Capri Sun, isn't this always a happy packet? Uh, just this wonderful little packet of juice. You probably can remember trying to get the little straw in, which isn't always easy, and maybe that part isn't so happy to think about. But but overall, it's a very happy little packet that you drink, and as you drink it, gets you can watch it contract. And it's a wonderful thing, as long as it actually has Capri Sun juice in it. But there was a product recall last week because apparently the factory malfunctioned and 5,000 or so of these packets ended up with cleaning solution in them instead. Now, I, I didn't read how bad the cleaning solution was, what it would do, but I can tell you this, it wouldn't be nearly as pleasant to drink as a Capri Sun. And, and if you were warning people, as scripture warns about these false teachers, saying, don't drink this, it only has cleaning solution, it, it doesn't have the, the juice that you're looking for, you would hope that someone would set this down and say, okay, I don't want that then. But with false teaching, sometimes we'll say, but but it looks so nice. It looks good. Everything looks fine about it. Why don't I just go ahead and drink it? I, I want to drink it. And scripture says, it doesn't matter if it looks good. It matters if it has the core of truth. Does it confess who Jesus is? What he's done for us? What's the mark of someone that we should unfollow? Someone who needs to be in a product recall? Someone that we need to flee from? Someone who lessens who Jesus is. That's really what it boils down to. Everything we've talked about, whether it's legalism that puts the self-righteousness on, on, on our side, if it, it was the laxity of, of moral license that says it doesn't really matter what we do, people who are saying it, what really matters is how important I am, all these sorts of things, what they're doing is lessening Jesus. And certainly those who speak untruth about who Jesus is, who say he wasn't really both true God and true man, they're very much lessening Jesus. We need to unfollow them product recall needs to happen. May we be a people who responds to product recalls and turns to the true source of refreshment that doesn't need a recall. God's word. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you that you are truth. That as we turn to you, we know that what you say is true, that it will be true, that it always is true, that it always has been true. Lord, will you help us to flee those sources of misinformation and untruth that, that often appeal to us, that maybe make us feel important, or, or maybe we're afraid of what happens if we renounce them. And Lord, would you help us instead to follow truth? Lord, even if we know the truth, would you help us not to give credence to those who speak mistruth by still marginally following them and saying, well, at least the package looks nice. Would you help us instead to insist on the pure refreshment of your word, of your truth alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. If it has, I'd sure appreciate it if you give us a like and a share. If you heard about a product recall, maybe you knew friends that were drinking Capri Sun and you didn't want them to accidentally drink cleaning solution, you'd probably share it on your Facebook or your Twitter. Or you'd email somebody. Consider doing that with these videos. You really can help to help those around us understand what it is that we desperately need to unfollow. And we unfollow it because we have confidence in whom it is that we do follow. That's what we're going to be thinking about more in our new series, The Nation's Rage, starting next Monday night at 7 p.m. It's going to be going through Psalm 2, and it's going to talk about the confidence we have in Jesus versus the leaders of the world. I do hope that you'll join me for that. It's such a joy to go through God's word with you. If you're looking for more opportunities to go through God's Word, I'd encourage you, if you're a man looking for a men's Bible study, check out our Bible study on Thursday nights. It's so good. We have such a great group of guys 
going through Romans right now, encouraging each other, praying for one another, and, and hearing that refreshment of God's word. Consider stopping by for that any Thursday night. It's online. It's totally interactive. It's a video conference Bible study. Also, Sunday nights, please do check us out at 5.30 p.m. We're going through a series in Philippians 3 right now, and we have wonderful worship music, wonderful times of fellowship. You can be there in person if you're in the area. It'd be lovely to have you there in person at 5.30 p.m. Or join us online. We have great fellowship online, too, with our online community. If there's any way I can be praying for you this week, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a prayer request in the comments below and we can pray for each other. What a joy that is as we help each other to be refreshed by the true refreshment of God's word. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week and I'll see you again soon. Thank you.